This episode is sponsored by my dear friend at Alpen Glow Skin Spa. Are you searching for the perfect boutique spa oasis, expert hands, corrective skincare advice, and are you located in the Denver area? If so, I highly recommend my friend Courtney Parkhill at Alpen Glow Skin Spa. She is a trusted esthetician for 15 years, providing corrective facials, chemical peels, dermaplaning, and high-quality professional home care. She's located in the high-altitude alpine desert of Woodland Park, Colorado, just 14 miles from Colorado Springs and 45 miles from Denver. Courtney wants people to feel cozy, relaxed, safe, and taken care of in her spa, but with the ultimate goal of reaching your skincare goals with a blend of active and botanical clinical ingredients. Retreat to the mountains and rejuvenate your skin. Courtney works on all skin types, all skin concerns, especially rosacea, pigment, aging, and acne. Come have a glass of wine or tea and experience results and relaxation at Alpen Glow Skin Spa. This episode is sponsored by Pomp. Pomp is a platform for estheticians that lets you connect with your clients virtually. It's great for managing client communication, and I love it because this provides a messaging platform that's all in one place, and you can actually separate yourself from your work, which is, I know, very hard for a lot of us to do, but this prevents clients from intruding into your personal space by texting or emailing you. Pomp is easy to use and super easy to get your clients started with. Plus, you get commission on all of the products that they purchase. You don't have to worry about shipping. You just make the recommendations as a professional and Pomp handles free and fast shipping. Pomp also works with a medical director so that you have access to some incredible brands that you might not otherwise, including Is Clinical, Revision Skincare, and many more. Check out the link in the podcast show notes for more details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to The Treatment Room. I'm your host, Tessa Zolli. So we are picking up with a part two today to our last episode on cosmetic ingredients. I have one of my favorite educators and estheticians with me today. Welcome back to the show, Michelle Fallon. Thanks, Tess. It's good to be back here again with you. Always good to be with you. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, you're so welcome. It's always great to be with you too, Michelle. So we wrapped up our conversation last time talking about cosmetic ingredients and AHAs in particular, but there's quite a few more on our list that we didn't get into. What would be some... AHAs that you think are are worth mentioning and um, what do they do for us in skincare? 
Yeah, so I am trying to go back and recall um, last week when we talked about the AHAs, the alpha hydroxy acids. I can um, just quickly recap on the um, glycolic acid. I think we did go over glycolic and lactic, but I can just touch on them again um, very quickly if you like a test yeah, before we move go on for to it. the others. The floor is yours. Okay, great. Okay. <laughs> so. Again, glycolic acid naturally comes from sugarcane. Today, it's a little bit more synthetically produced. And I think I had mentioned last week that's because it is more uh, predictable that way. You know, if the room is warm or if the room is colder, if their client's skin is hot that day, you know, you know what to predict, right? You know sort of how the outcome is going to be in, in a sense. Uh, when you purchase a glycolic acid that might be uh, synthetically produced rather than from, from sugarcane. But glycolic has so many, many um, properties to it. It's a great exfoliator. You know, it is slightly anti-inflammatory. It helps to drain. When I say drain pustular acne, I don't mean, you know, really open, angry, oozing acne, but maybe some small papules or very tiny pustules. It helps to dry them out without opening them up and causing a bleed out and then, you know, a scab and then a, a, an area of PIH. So glycolic is actually still one of my favorite AHAs, even though it's been around forever. I used it back in the 1980s and still use a couple of different blends today. So definitely alpha hydroxy acid is at the top of my list, even though there are um, many fancy cocktail peels out there. And also just to recap, if everyone, you know, everyone remembers alpha hydroxy acid is a, um, they're a special group of organic acids that are derived from fruit and other food sources synthetically produced as well. They are mostly water loving right? They, as opposed to being um, oil loving. So yeah, I would have to say glycolic acid is one that is at the top of, of the list as far as being used very often and being, you know, being popular can be added to other ingredients, other peels, and also added to a lot of at-home products too. Michelle, when you say, you know, certain ingredients are water loving versus oil loving, I know you say that often and you specify that, but maybe you could break it down even further for Estes who haven't heard that before. What does that really, really mean? Yeah, so good question. Thanks for the question. So water-loving ingredients tend to have an OH uh, group attached to them. And of course, you know, water, right? It also has an OH group. So they're miscible in each other. They dissolve well in each other. If you think about the skin, if you think about the epidermis versus the, the dermis, just think about the epidermis. The epidermis is a little bit more oil-loving. It allows oil-loving ingredients, right? Lipids, if you will, to penetrate through its cell membrane better than a water-loving ingredient. So an oil-loving ingredient would be like the BHA salicylic acid. That ingredient really hits the ground or hits the skin uh, burning, so to speak. Whereas glycolic acid or lactic, peruvic, malic, tartaric, ascorbic, which we'll go over in a second, not so much. You know, you can still get those burns if it is acidic enough, if it is strong enough, if it's left on the skin long enough, if the skin is sensitive. 
but it is not as miscible with the epidermis as the BHA would be. It definitely blends better in water-loving ingredients. So if you had a gel, you know, the AHAs would blend better than a BHA would because it's, it's miscible. They are very similar molecularly, so they blend better with each other. Um, but definitely ingredients like salicylic acid, right, being a BHA, being a beta-hydroxy acid, is an oil-loving ingredient. And because the epidermis is a little bit more oil-loving in nature, it allows the salicylic acid to penetrate more quickly. And you have to be so careful and diligent about placing it on and then taking it off without burning the skin because it can absorb into the epidermis very, very quickly, faster than sometimes we realize. So, yes, yeah, so that is just a little bit about, you know, water-loving ingredients. Okay. Follow-up question to that. <laughs> this might be a stupid mm -hmm. question. Um, would yeah, you no say... Questions. No questions are stupid. <laughs> okay, good. If I'm thinking it, somebody else might be too. Um, would you say you prefer to use oil-loving ingredients on more oily skin types? Yes. So as far as a chemical peel, like salicylic acid, if you wanted to help um, break through, if you will, or sort of break up the oily, um, in the superficial oil on the skin, that would be helpful to use a BHA like salicylic acid. So if somebody had really thick, thick, oily, oily skin, salicylic acid would be a good peel to use to help get through some of that oil, you know, to move into the hair follicle, to break down some of the congestion in the hair follicle, to clean out the hair follicle a little bit better and more effectively. Um, I wouldn't use salicylic acid for dry skin for sure. It could burn the skin. You know, if the skin was very thin, I wouldn't use salicylic acid being an, an oil loving chemical peel on um, dry, you know, thin, thin skin so much. It would have to be a thicker, oilier skin type. Okay. Okay. Thanks for clarifying because I think, you know, sometimes we know as Estes, my client's oily, I want to use a salicylic acid, but we may not exactly understand why. So that'll go, that all goes back to skincare ingredients and and these properties of the ingredients that Michelle's talking about. Exactly, exactly. And, and like in my skincare ingredient class at Concepts Institute, I do um, break that down a little bit more for you as we go over the integumentary system, which is important to know, you know, the integumentary system and, and how that system allows certain ingredients to affect it you know, to penetrate it and what it does once it's able to move deeper into the tissue. I think a lot of people feel like you apply something to the skin and if it's supposed to be beneficial, it is, you know, and if, it, if it's damaging, then it is. And it's not really that clean cut. You know, there, there's it's more to it and, and really understanding the physiology of the integumentary system is kind of where you need to start before you can, un, you know, before you then take a class in ingredients and understand how the two work together. Yes. And I think, you know, 
the more time I spend in this industry, the more I realize how intricate things can be. Even the example I was talking about with you the other day, she has an interesting skin condition going on with a lot of congestion and closed comedones. And Michelle, you said, I wouldn't use salicylic acid. And I thought that was so interesting because I think a lot of people would reach for that to dissolve congestion. But at the same time, she has a very dry skin and that that congestion is, is trapped under some layers of dead cells. And you can see the surrounding skin just needs more hydration. Right. And we had mentioned maybe using a hyaluronic acid product, right? A water loving product or a gel at home to help soften the superficial tissue uh, might actually make it easier for exfoliation uh, for some of those, um, you know, microcomedones or amelia or close comedones, if you will, that she has prior to um, doing a peel. You know, having her use a hyaluronic acid gel at home for a few weeks, of course, if they, it still is not very helpful, then might have to send her possibly, right, potentially to a dermatologist to have them lanced out. But there's always that chance um, to be able to get rid of some of them just using the correct products to start with. Yes, yeah, so hyaluronic acid um, originally found in roosters combs, um, now synthetically produced, can also be found in beets, the vegetable beets are extracted from beets in various ways um, and used in other, um, or had been in the past used in medicine for uh, you know, other reasons to you know, keep tissue soft and, and wet and you know, moist. So hyaluronic acid is um, water loving. It also, um, hence its name, like acid, right? Hyaluronic acid. It has an acid functional group attached to the original molecule, which makes it a little bit more um, acidic, obviously, because of the acid. It also um, is not necessarily an exfoliator, although if it's used in a higher percentage, it could exfoliate to some degree, but it's placed in a lot of ingredients um, to help hydrate the skin topically. Now, when doctors use hyaluronic acid in fillers, obviously they have it in a needle, right? It's pushed through the epidermis into the dermis, injected into the dermis, and then um, binds there, collects the water from the surrounding area, and it kind of plumps up and it fills in and it re-sculptures and it helps to hold in moisture. But that's also because the dermis is more water-loving and hyaluronic acid is also a water-loving ingredient. Now in the epidermis, when you have hyaluronic acid or find it in the products for the epidermis, it's a little bit more topical. So it sits on the surface of the skin, you know, no matter how small the molecule is, it still doesn't penetrate the cell membrane very easily. Um, if it's used along with other modalities, like a three megahertz ultrasonic, or like galvanism or microcurrent, that can help drive it a little bit more deeply into the tissue. But if it is just applied to the surface of the skin, like a mask or in a gel or in a moisturizer, most hyaluronic acid ingredients, unless they're placed in a liposomal delivery system, a liposomal or a liposome or a liposome, however you want to say it, is a very small fatty acid, a little 
that uh, phospholipid, little fat lipid, that is often, um, you know, injected with hyaluronic acid or other water-loving ingredients so that they're able to sort of sneak their way into the tissue, you know, since a liposome is oil-loving. But if you just have a hyaluronic acid, no matter if it's lightweight or if it's heavier weight, they tend to sit a little bit more on the outside of the cell in the interstitial stitial, um, you know, fluid around the cells and help to collect water, not just in the skin to hold it in the skin and on the skin or for the skin, but also collect it from the air, from the environment. We have a lot of moisture, especially, you know, when you're in a really humid environment, it can help bind that water. That's why when I go to a really humid environment, I have to be really careful when I use my hyaluronic acid gel around my mm -hmm. eye area because I could wake up in the morning and not even be able to open my eyes. My eyes are swol so swollen shut because mm -hmm. the hyaluronic acid gel has bound to the, uh, you know, the humidity, the moisture in the air. Wow, that's but yes, pretty amazing. I've never heard that. Yes, this has happened to me on occasion. I do tend to uh, have a lot of edema in my skin anyway, and also being yes. older, you know, that happens. But yeah, so I think it's, it's a great uh, ingredient to use in masks after an acne treatment to help soothe and calm and hydrate, you know, when you have that extra hydration, that extra hydration is naturally anti-inflammatory in and of itself. With the smaller weight, the smaller uh, hyaluronic acid or the smaller molecular structure, it's able to penetrate a little bit more deeply, but still not really able to effectively cross the cell membrane barrier. But it is able to move a little bit deeper into the tissues. So it's able to hold that water deeper in the tissue. A lot of people feel if you use hyaluronic acid and then you use an oil-loving product over the top of it, it will help to kind of seal it in. And it does in a way, but it's still being sealed in to the stratum corneum. You know, it's still really not being pushed very deeply into, let's say, the basal cell zone. Whereas if you find it in a liposome, in a liposomal delivery system, you might find that ingredient deeper in the tissue, maybe in the stratum granulosum, maybe in the basal cell zone, to some degree, you know, very low percentage, but to some degree. So yeah, I think hyaluronic acid definitely has its place. I think though for clients who feel that they're using it and it's giving them this really deep, deep hydration and it's just in a gel, that might not be the case, right? If you even try this, if you put a little hyaluronic acid on the back of your hand, right? And don't wash your hands. <laughs> if you, we can, you know, we could do that for like an hour or so. And then you go back and you touch a little water and then you touch the spot where you left the hyaluronic acid. It will kind of revive that ingredient. You'll find that it's still there. If you haven't wiped your hands off or used hand sanitizer, you'll find that it's still right there. Whereas if you take a little drop of let's even just say grapeseed oil, right, or coconut oil, and you put that on the back of your hand, that will spread out a little bit and then it will absorb to a certain degree depending upon its molecular weight, right? Depending upon its molecular structure. But because the epithelial tissue is a little more on the oil-loving side, it has a better chance, the coconut oil or the grapeseed oil, of taking a deeper dive into the tissue than the hyaluronic acid. Of course, with like Restylane or Juvederm or some of the other fillers that are made up of hyaluronic acid, 
when the injectors have it in a needle and they inject deeply into the dermis, of course it gets into the dermis because you've driven it into the dermis with, with a needle. And because the dermis is more water loving, it has the ability there to bind that water, right? The glycosaminoglycans and bind the water in the tissue and fill the tissue and fill in lines and wrinkles temporarily and be sort of a, um, well, a filler, right, to help re sort of mold the the structure of the facial area to some degree for a short period of time until it metabolizes, it breaks down, and then eventually we pee it out. Do you have anything to say about why all hyaluronic acids are not created equal or what somebody should look for? when it comes to choosing a formula? Yeah, you wanna look for a um, formula that you know and that you like, right, and that you trust. Um, a hyaluronic acid, it's hard to know just looking at an ingredient label, you know, okay. what, where exactly that particular ingredient has come from. If obviously we all know, right, when it's at the top of the, the label, it's a lot, there's a lot more content than at the bottom. Uh, but I would look for, if you're looking for maybe something for more mature skin, you might want to look for the ingredient called hyaluronic acid, which has the acid functional group, which is also a little bit more rejuvenative. If you are looking for something maybe for sensitive skin, you would want to look for hyaluron 8, right? It mm. ends in ATE. ATE means that it contains an ester functional group, a little bit more calming and soothing. Um, but in general, the molecule on its own is and does help to to bind bind water. Unless you are working with a chemist and able to sort of sit there and ask him and her a lot of questions, it's really hard to know though, you know, what the, you know where this product has come from, and um, you know how it's been tested. Uh, but just know that it is a it is a binder of water. So it does help to hydrate, but it does help to hydrate. If you're applying it to the skin, that is, rather than consuming it, it does help to hydrate topically. Yeah, it just, it goes to show even a seemingly simple ingredient like hyaluronic acid can have a lot more to it and a lot more complexities. And we're still even learning more about it, even though it just seems like something that's so basic and is in so almost simple every, yeah yeah is in almost every moisturizer and i feel like uh, maybe five years ago it was really one of those buzzy skincare ingredients and we just thought you know more is more and we were looking for it in everything but i think it just goes to show there's there's some nuances when it comes to ingredients well, there, there sure are. And, you know, taking one ingredient out of context, it would be the wrong way to do it. You know, you want to look at the entire formula and make sure that the entire formula is something that an individual could use for their skin type or condition. And there's so many, of course, right, conditions and types that it's not sort of a one, you know, one fits all or a one and done. So yes. what works for you, of course, might not work for your friends or your family. It's very, very, um, very individual. Yeah. And yeah. I, I just like, you know, like a medication would be even a medication, you know, the milligrams matters. 
um, the type you matters. What else is that a medication? What else is added to it matters. So yeah, there there are a lot a lot of variables there that we have to take into consideration. For sure. Yep. Skincare is so personal. And I think that's good for people to, to keep in mind when you're seeing information about ingredients on social media. And um, it's easy to, to kind of generalize ingredients for the sake of a video. And um, yeah, I think this just goes to show there's always a what if and there's always a, a but. It really just depends on the person. But okay, switching gears a little bit back to our ingredients. I'd like to talk about azelaic acid with you, Michelle. I know that's an ingredient that's that's been popular lately. And I know it can be used for a variety of treatments from acne to rosacea. What do you, what do you have to say about azelaic acid? And, and could you tell us more about that one? Yeah, I do like azelaic acid and um, have it in some of our products, you know, originally from carbohydrates like wheat, rye, barley, um, when it's derived naturally today, a lot of it is uh, synthetically produced. Um, as you can see, the word azelaic acid, still that acid functional group, any, any word that ends with acid, whether it's majorly exfoliating or not, has an acid functional group, which means that it lowers pH, right? Makes it a little bit more acidic, um, it, which is, uh, makes the skin a little bit more acidic too. It's also a little bit more on the germicidal side. It is anti-inflammatory. It does help to sort of move blood through the capillaries too, so that blood is not so stagnant in those capillaries, which makes the capillaries look more red and more inflamed. Um, it also helps to sort of move any of the, um, the white blood cells, right? The immune system that is sort of focused in that area. If you've got an area that's a little bit more inflamed, it helps to kind of push things along so those little white blood cells don't cause so much inflammation in a specific area. It's also anti-hyperpigmentation. It's been found to be a melanogenesis inhibitor. Um, you know, people call it a tyrosinase inhibitor. Melanogenesis inhibitor is a little bit more, um, I think it covers, it covers a lot more. But a melanogenesis inhibitor, in this case being a tyrosinase inhibitor, this ingredient inhibits or it disrupts the, um, the enzyme, the enzyme tyrosinase from binding to tyrosine. So if tyrosinase is not able to bind to tyrosine quite as effectively inside the melanocyte, you're not going to have as, as much pigmentation. You're not going to have as much hyperpigmentation. And it's going to really reduce the hyperpigmentation and make the skin a lighter. Sometimes azelaic acid is not enough in a brightening or lightening cream and, you know, like hydroquinone, which we all, all a lot of estheticians don't, don't love and <laughs> doctors do, but like uh, the, you know, right. It tests the um, hydroquinone can often stand alone by itself and do a really good job, but an ingredient like azelaic acid might not be as strong unless it's too strong in a product. So sometimes it's blended in with other ingredients like, you know, arbutin or lactic acid or niacinamide. Um, so it's power, you know, power in numbers. Another thing azelaic acid does is it's a very, very, very mildly exfoliating. It's not a major um, ex exfoliator, 
but it does help to break down some of the corneocyte cohesions in the epithelial tissue, turning over the tissue, you know, smoothing the tissue, retexturizing it, giving it that brighter, more um, smooth, kind of peachy look to it. So I, I like acetic acid. I find that most of my clients and a lot of the people I work with don't have a reaction to it, especially if they're using it as a lightening ingredient, like sometimes they do with something, you know, like hydroquinone. Mm, okay. Yes. And I was doing a little bit of research about it before, before the podcast. I, I typically don't, I don't, use azelaic acid too much myself. Typically, I I hear about it when rosacea clients come to me and say they've used it in the past with a dermatologist. So I didn't know it's been it's been available in the US for over a decade. And it's been approved for treatment of rosacea. And a lot of um, the, the medical information says it can reduce those adverse side effects rosacea clients can experience when it comes to stinging and burning. So it sounds interesting because it has, you know, some mild exfoliating ingredients, which is helpful for the, for the oil um, that can plague rosacea clients as well as reducing that, that stinging sensation from a compromised barrier. So um, I think it's just, it sounds like a, an interesting one. I think it's a really interesting ingredient Yeah, in being anti-inflammatory and helping to sort of move the white blood cells out of and away from that area so that you don't have such a traumatic effect in that specific area could probably be part of the reason why you don't have that extra, right, extra stinging or discomfort, kind of an anti anti-sting effect on the skin. I see it sometimes be used with glycolic acid, which also can be a mild um, anti-inflammatory AHA. Together, they seem to work well for a lot of people. I see this in a lot of different lines. And I would have to say as far as a, a newer ingredient, like you say, over the last decade or so, and it's become more popular over the last few years, that it's one of the top of, you know, I put it, it top of the list for um, just being an effective, safe ingredient for most people. There's always someone who is going to have a reaction to something, but I think Mm -hmm. for most people, it's fairly Mm -hmm. safe. Okay. Okay. Good. Let's move on to mandelic acid, which, as we know, is derived from almonds, right, Michelle? Mm -hmm. Almonds, yeah, originally derived from almonds. Um, again, one of the newer AHAs, I know when I first started in this, in this industry back in the 1980s, 1986, 1987, uh, Mandelic really wasn't heard of. You know, we didn't use it quite as, well, we didn't use it at all. I had not even heard of it until maybe the late 90s and um, then has become more popular in recent years and added to so many ingredients. I think this is a lot more mild than some of the other alpha hydroxy acids. It also has molecularly (laughs) an aromatic ring to it. So its molecule is a little bit different. The way that it's structured is a little bit different when you hear aromatic ring. Um, It produces a little bit of a smell, like essential oils or aromatherapy oils have an aromatic ring. That's the way that the molecules are structured and it also produces a scent. So it's a little bit, naturally, it has a little bit of a scent to it. 
it's a larger molecule. It doesn't go as deeply into the skin as um, glycolic acid would or some of the other AHAs, unless, of course, it's very acidic. You know, it has a very um, strong pH, which normally it's not used that way. It's great for all skin types. Most people don't have an allergic reaction to it. If you have an allergy to almonds, though, you might want to, you know, watch out or maybe do a patch mm -hmm. test before you use it. It is also antibacterial. It is, um, it kind of slows the penetration of other ingredients because it's molecules a little larger. If you have it with other AHAs, it kind of slows down the process of everything, which doesn't make it worse, doesn't make it less effective. It's just not quite as aggressive. So everything still kind of does its job in the way that it normally would. It would just do it in its time. You know, it would take its time to be, mm. to be effective. Yeah. I always think of Douglas Preston when we're talking about mm -hmm. Mandelic because he always uh, does a little Mandelic peel on me after he does my extractions and the skin always feels great afterward. It's, it's not, um, I haven't had any, you know, higher strength Mandelic peels. I don't know if that even exists, but it always seems pretty mild. The skin looks great afterwards, not too much downtime. And yeah, he says he, he likes to favor those lighter strength peels, which, which I think is interesting. Yeah. So after extractions, you know, it would go into the follicle. It would help to free up any debris that might still be in there, exfoliate the follicular lining without actually causing stinging, right? Without actually causing discomfort because it does move a little bit more slowly. It has a larger molecule. It's more gentle. So I think that that is great. I like yes. that. I like that yes. you, you know, utilizing the metallic acid after extractions because it is very gentle. There's a lot of times people will do the peels before extractions. If they right. even do extractions at all, they'll do it before. But I can definitely yeah. see doing a more gentle mandelic acid after your extractions. I know. Isn't that interesting? Some people are either peeled before hardcore or they're, they're, they're peel after extractions um, type of SD. So I think that's interesting too. And I wouldn't necessarily expect, expect Mandelic to be a peel used on acne clients, but it's kind of an interesting way to use the ingredient, especially if you want to um, just clean the skin out, but aren't necessarily um, looking to do anything too major after the stimulation from extractions. Exactly, exactly. And because it's got the acid functional group, you know, it does make it a, um, an acid, an exfoliating acid. Um, it does help to regulate the oil glands. It's not super caustic usually. And yeah, I think that's great that you're having a really light peel after your extractions when you use Mandelic. Now, I don't know that I would do a really strong, aggressive salicylic acid peel after, well, definitely not after extractions, um, even before extractions, uh, maybe a mild, mild salicylic peel, you know, something with a really low percentage and not a super caustic pH. But I like the idea of doing the Mandelic after the extractions. Yes. Yep. The skin always looks just really, really clean and fresh. So I think that's a great uh, kind of underrated, underrated ingredient, I would say. 
it is an underrated ingredient. I know there are other AHAs like, you know, peruvic acid from lemon, malic acid from apples, tartaric from grapes, ascorbic from vitamin C. They're, they're those acids, those, those AHAs. I don't know. If, I don't remember if we talked about them last week, but they so. often, oh, okay. Well, just to mention them, they kind of um, are incorporated together because they there's power in numbers, you know, and, and power in variety. Often they don't stand alone the same way that maybe a glycolic would or a lactic would. Uh, the acidity level is usually a little lower. The molecular structure is a little bit larger. So when you couple peruvic, again, peruvic from originally from lemon, malic originally from apples, tartaric grapes, ascorbic uh, oranges, then you get sort of the best of everything. You know, you have some light exfoliation, you have the antioxidant effects there, you have the brightening effects there. And then sometimes I even see that some manufacturers will add in the mandalic, add that into this mix, and, and it will make a really nice light cocktail peel, right, for maybe individuals who don't need something super, super aggressive. We haven't talked about niacinamide yet, and I think that's also another buzzy one that I think is worth worth talking about. I thought this was interesting, Michelle, in doing a little bit of research about niacinamide. Um, I found an article that said there aren't actually a ton of high-quality studies looking at topical niacinamide for cosmetic uses, but... If you ask a dermatologist, a lot of them will say the best thing niacinamide can be used for is skin cancer prevention. Yes. Yeah. And I know a lot of it is just that the, you know, we test it on our own, even though there may not be any great um, meta studies or a lot of research into it that we know of, right? A lot of times estheticians get a hold of these ingredients or doctors or others that use it for their patients and we see these great results. And so we report the results, you know, ourselves to each other and share this information. But I totally agree with you. So niacinamide originally derived from vitamin B3, right? Um, also called, and I can spell it for you, nicotinamide, N-I-C-O. T-I-N-A-M-I-D-E, um, vitamin B3. I know that there are a lot of studies done when you take this vitamin, right? Being a member of the vitamin B family, when you take it internally, more studies are done on, on this vitamin. But as far as adding it into skincare products, you know, it's water loving. So you'll find it in both creams and in gels. If you have a combination of a cream and a, uh, a water product, you know, bound together with an emulsifier, you'll also find this vitamin B3 or niacinamide rather in the product. It's anti-inflammatory. It also helps to, it's been said to strengthen the capillary walls, to actually strengthen the capillary walls. And in your capillaries, right, in your blood vessels, you have three layers, right? You have the the outer layer. So when you're looking at your blood vessels, just from your, you know, look down at your skin, you see your blood vessel, right? You're looking at the outside, which is the tunica adventitia. And then you've got the inner portion, which is the tunica media, which is like the little muscle makes the capillary or the vessel bigger, right? When you are um, hot, 
or when you are you know exercising and things like that it, that little muscle also makes the vessel smaller and then you have the very 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 inner portion of the vessel called the tunica intima like intimate and so it's said that the niacinamide helps to strengthen the capillary and strengthen the little muscle component so that capillaries that are dilated appear less dilated. They're more um, toned. They're a bit more tight. Um, it also increases the synthesis of ceramides. You know, ceramides are produced in the basal cell zone and they are mostly oil loving. They're in the epithelial tissue. They help to bind together tissue, epithelial tissue. They help to hold in moisture. They help to hold in water. Um, you could add ceramides to the skin you know, other ceramides to the skin for skin that's really compromised, right? We hear like compromised barrier or dry skin, but this ingredient is said to actually help with the synthesis of a natural ceramides in the skin, which is great for all of us, especially skin that's sensitive, thin, irritated, dry. And it's also said to lessen hyperpigmentation as it's an antioxidant. So it might not be one of those ingredients that actually inhibits um, the tyrosinase or actually slows down the production of pigmentation, right? Doesn't necessarily maybe slow down the way that the melanocyte produces color. But because it's an antioxidant, when you have damage to the skin or, or the sun hits the skin and it creates free radical damage, right, from the get-go, antioxidants like this, like niacinamide or maybe vitamin C or maybe vitamin E, helps to lend, right, lend its uh, electrolyte, right, to the, um, or I should say one of the subparticles, its electron, we'll change that to electron, <laughs> to the, um, you know, to the atom that's missing an electron. And it kind of slows down molecular disintegration in that way. I mean, I'm sure some of these things are anecdotal, but you know, in studies have been done by manufacturers on their own. I don't know of any really big meta studies that have been done. Maybe you do a test. I'm not, sh not sure of that myself, but just using it sort of on my own for my own clients, I've noticed really great results. I know that niacinamide naturally can come from meats and fish and nuts, and mushrooms. It also helps to lower the sebum excretion, the way that the oil gland, right, is releases oil into the hair follicle and the oil gland being a holocrine secretion and a holocrine secretion is a gland that actually breaks down and in its place, there is a sebum. Right, that happens with the oil gland. It breaks down, it builds up. It breaks down, it builds up. And when it breaks down, the holocrine gland produces sebum. And it's said to help to slow down that production a little bit, so it slows down the way that oil is being made in the sebaceous gland. So for someone who has like, you know, acne skin, right, really thick oily acne skin, it can be beneficial for that. So it's really a multifaceted ingredient and it's gained a lot of popularity over the last, maybe over the last five years. 
Yes. And I wanted to ask you, Michelle, because I've noticed with certain people, niacinamide can be very caustic and I've had clients kind of blow up from it or get a rash. Is there a reason it can be caustic in higher percentages or just uh, for the wrong person? I know for people who are really sensitive, who are kind of red and ready to begin with or have a lot of erythema to begin with, I also know with certain B um, complex vitamins or just vitamin B3 in general, when you take them internally, it can cause a lot of the flushing. I know sometimes if I take it, I turn a bit a bit pink myself and get a little hot and sweaty. It is, um, you know, it can, it can vasodilate. So for your capillaries, for your veins, for your arteries, it can allow more blood to move into the area for a bit, a little bit, and that can cause a little bit of redness temporarily. But if someone's got sensitive skin, right, if they've got really sensitive skin, that can create other issues. Other issues can spin off from that. So even though it's anti-inflammatory in the way that it can strengthen it strengthen the vascular system. It's also a little bit of a dilator temporarily, which can make the skin red or flush temporarily. Yeah, I've noticed it's another one of those really nuanced ingredients and it can kind of be a double-edged sword. So what I've mm-hmm. learned from recent experiences <laughs> that I would pass on to you guys, because I love you and I, I want you to learn from my mistakes, is this is a good ingredient to have your sensitive clients patch test. Or actually, I'm going to take that back. Really, it's a great idea to have a client patch test any new product and I'd say even with non-sensitive types because I've had non-sensitive clients really react to niacinamide um, and it's it's a lower percentage of of clients it's not common but I've noticed in about a tenth of people even really calming in nature types of products that contain niacinamide just for that odd person can really spur a reaction. Mm-hmm. I, I, I completely agree. And uh, there's some, you know, clients that you would never think would react to something. And then, you know, they react, you know, it might be something that is that their body has just built up, uh, you know, an antigen reaction too. I know I never, I was just looking at my own skin. I never react. I never have a rash, urethacaria, any, you name it, I don't have it. And recently I've been, um, you know, I've established this sort of rash on the back of my neck and I couldn't figure out what is it from? Is it from this hair product I changed? I had a massage mm. the other day. Maybe did she mm. use something? Is it that I changed my, um, I, I know that we didn't change anything in the uh, detergent, but I had to go down and check. But sometimes when you have an allergic reaction to something, right, and you become sensitized mm. and you have an antigen reaction, for whatever reason, maybe it's just overwhelmed the system at that particular point in time. You go back to it again, especially if it's been there a while, a few days, it can last, it can last a while. And even when it goes away, the reaction goes away, 
you start using that product again, a month or two or three months later, you'll have that reaction again because you become sensitized to it. Your body is looking at it like, you know, like the enemy. <laughs> it goes back. It doesn't recognize right. it. It doesn't like it. It mounts a defense against it. It, it attacks it and your skin becomes red and rashy. I am still trying to figure out what's going on with, with me and the back of my neck. Uh -huh. It goes, you know, it flares up on one side, it goes down after a few hours, it flares up on the other side. And so this has been going on for a couple of days. I'm sure I'll get to the bottom of it here in another day or so. I'm still investigating. <laughs> but I, I agree, you need to, yeah. to test absolutely 100% uh, and test well, anything that's new. Yes. It's funny because when I came to see you last, I had a rash on the front of my neck and now you have one on the back. Um, right. And I, and it's just so funny. I mean, I know that yours was from what yours was from, right? It was from that right. very stimulating heating ulcer. I cannot right. figure out what mine is from for the life of me. So now I'm, ha I'm having to eliminate things, just eliminate yeah. everything that I've started over the last couple of weeks, including foods and then add them back in very slowly, one at a time, and then give it a week, and then add something else in, give it a week, and just to see, hmm, what is the culprit here? What's going on here? Because there are no other symptoms of illness or anything like that. Yeah, sometimes you just gotta play detective a little bit and, and retrace your steps. Yes, always play detective, <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> yes, yep. We might as well have that just in our job title, esthetician slash detective. Detective, yes, I think <laughs> that is. And that's what we are because it's hard, right? Sometimes it's hard to determine. And right off the bat, things are not so obvious or so apparent. So you have to ask lots and lots and lots of questions and, and do lots and lots and lots of digging to yes. find find the answer and it might not happen in just that one session but definitely what i do with my clients is i tell them keep me posted let me know you know how how this is how this is unfolding and keep a diary you might have to keep a diary mm -hmm. yeah but that's yeah. the exciting part of our of our job that that to me is i like that detective you know that sort of yes. trying to figure things out and be very analytical Absolutely. And I will say it's it's more fun to be a detective when when somebody's coming to you with issues versus having to figure out once you've applied too many ingredients or used too many products, then trying to um, pinpoint what it could be. So I feel like it's important to say while we're mentioning all these products, it's worth um, trying one thing at a time, especially if it's it's something new, because even ingredients that seem so basic, like hyaluronic acid, or um, just seem so great or popular, like niacinamide, there can always be um, more to the story. And we're all bio-individual, and we can all have uh, sensitivities. So... Yeah, I think that's why more education mm -hmm. is needed around ingredients so we can understand them. And it's 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 difficult because you don't always learn enough in school. And then there are real world scenarios that come up. And um, sometimes you have to find out through experience. You're right. And the, and the human body is just it's it is it's so individual. It's so fickle. Right. It's unpredictable. 
And, um, and sometimes the answers are not, you know, what you think they are. So keeping really, really good notes in your um, charts, electronic or whatnot, keeping really good notes, having the clients keep their own journal sometimes is the best way to sort of get to the bottom of whatever you think might be going on. But I really like your idea, Tess. I think it's great. If it's a new product, whatever it is, and it might be a little stimulating or you're not really sure, test it for a while in a small area of the face, you know, maybe the jawline or a part of the face or the body, right? The skin that you can't see as much just to see if you, if the person has a reaction, it could take a while sometimes to have a reaction. But yes, that is a uh, good rule of thumb to follow. Okay. Well, I think this is a great, a great stopping point, even though Michelle and I know we could talk forever about ingredients and I'm sure this (laughs) is going to be, I know this is going to be a well-received episode, Michelle, because this is the most common topic I get asked about. People want to know more about ingredients and it's, Definitely something I remember can be overwhelming when you're in school learning about all these ingredients and how they function and wanting to use the right one on your client. So I think this episode was so needed and thank you so much for all of your great insights, Michelle. Do you think there's anything we left off that we should include? Um, I think we covered a lot of the really big ingredients in skincare today. Um, you know, just so everyone knows, there's so many new things that are added to the industry on a regular basis. So staying kind of on top of it all and abreast, you know, is that's that's really important. You know, what you learn today um, is great and it'll be around for a long time, but there's always something new to learn tomorrow. That's why what we do with our cosmetic ingredient class at Concepts Institute, we add to it. We'll add things to it to update it. And there are some ingredients that will be with us for forever. And there are new ones that are constantly being being added. So, yeah, that's just one of those things that it's the beauty of this business. You know, it's just moving so quickly and you have a lot of great sources now to be able to gain this information from. And I know if you're listening to this, podcast, um, which is always great. Of course, Tess is wonderful that um, you're going to, you know, you're one of those people who really, really want to learn. And, you know, you'll probably be very successful because you're hungry for knowledge and you're going to take the knowledge and you're going to implement it. And I think that's great. Yeah. And Tess, I think what you're doing is, is wonderful. It's just so helpful. I hear uh, my estheticians students come in all the time and they're so grateful to have your podcast and your uh, YouTube channel. So thank you for doing that for for everybody. Well, I love doing it. It's fun for me. It, it keeps me hungry to learn and pass the best information on to you guys listening. And just like Michelle said, that hunger is just so needed. And even if you are the most seasoned esthetician, we want to stay up to date on ingredient knowledge and keep keep refreshing. So that never, you know, should fade away. So this is always, always just good information to talk about. So thanks for being with us, Michelle. We really appreciate you. Where can, where can anybody listening find more information about you or the classes you teach or 
perhaps also the ingredient course that you teach, which is just one of my favorite classes to recommend. Yes, and thank you so, so much, uh, Tessa. Always love to be here with you and, and with everyone um, that's listening. Yes, yeah, so you could reach me at, um, or you can even go to our website, www.conceptsinstitute.com, or just Google it and see some of the classes there. There's also the online on-demand ingredient class there as well as a bunch of other classes. Or you could even uh, email me really at conceptsmmp at gmail dot com and maybe Tessa you can put that into the notes yeah um, absolutely. that would be great too but definitely so if you have any questions about uh, you know anything that we talked about or would like to register for a class um, our admin is really good at getting back to everyone but I'm happy to answer questions too and help register you as well so thank you so much for having me today yeah, thank you, Michelle. And thank you for offering everyone that resource. I would encourage anyone who's interested to get in touch with Michelle. You can probably tell she's a very welcoming and just really nice person. And we just thank really you. need you, Michelle, in this industry. So thank you so much for all you do. And thanks for coming on. Thank you all for listening. And I'm going to talk to you in the next episode.